Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. So today we are finishing up our series on David. And, and one of the things that I, I love about Scripture is that it, it doesn't gloss over anything. I mean, all you have to do is look at the book of Judges and, and Kings to get a picture of that. But before we get to, uh, before, after Judges and before Kings, we have this, this second two books, the first Samuel and second Samuel, that I talk about the first two kings, uh, Saul. And we know Saul had a lot of, of things about him that weren't uh, so great. Uh, to put it put it mildly, and then we, then we have David, who we we hold in in high high esteem. You know, I shared uh, the very first sermon of the series that they actually have uh, the tomb of David marked in in the old city of Jerusalem, and people go and they they pay honor to David, and there there li- there's a library there, people pray, and all of those type of things. There, you don't see that with with uh, Saul. You don't see a a, a tomb of Saul. You know, some of the other kings, you don't really see a tomb of where they are either because it does kind of get pushed to the side. But, but the thing that I appreciate about Scripture, that, that it's not just a, a book that gives us all of the high points of, of Israel. It, it's not a book that gives us all of the great things, but, but we really get to see the warts of those that came before us. We see where they struggled. We see where they failed. We see where they, they tried to cover up things, and we see that that didn't really go as well. So I thought it was fitting as we finish up our series on David that we talk about his biggest wart, if you will, the place where he really struggled, but where God walked with him through that struggle. And we see the redemption that happens at the end. So before we move into our scripture, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you help us in the time of our lives to to do what we hear in the song before us, to make our hearts be like yours to mold us and to make us and to, and to move us so that we may be more like you. So God, as we spend this time together, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So our scripture for today is two chapters in the book of 2 Samuel, and I'm not going to read through those two chapters, but I think it's important for us to understand that, that this story is really key for, for who we are because it does, it is given two chapters, two full chapters to see 
the, 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 the frailty of David, but also the restoration of David. See, David was a very powerful king, and, and up until this time, really, David could do absolutely no wrong. And, and, and he sends off the, the, the armies of Israel to, to go to war, and David hangs around back at the castle. And, and David's bored, so he goes up to the roof one day, and he sees Bathsheba, who is, who is bathing on another rooftop. And he says, I, I, I want her to come and be with me. So he, he does that. He takes the power of the king, and he forces a woman to come and, and be with him in his castle. And then Bathsheba leaves, and we find out that she becomes pregnant. And she gives word to David, and the first thing that David does is, oh no, what do I do? Well, I'll just bring her husband Uriah in, and Uriah will do that thing that husbands and wives do together, and then boom, he has a baby. And, and, and I'm Scott clean. But, but Uriah didn't fall for that. Not that he knew what happened, but, but Uriah was one of the most loyal persons in David's service. He, he's listed as one of David's mighty men, those that, that, that followed David and did anything and everything that King David asked him to do. So he, he refused to go and, and be with Bathsheba, so he, he stayed with King David. And then David said, well, well this isn't going to work, so, so what we'll do, we'll just get him drunk. We'll get him sloppy drunk, and then he'll just stagger on his way home and then he and Bathsheba will do that thing that husbands and wives do, and boom, now Uriah has a son. But even with the drinks and, and all of the coercion and everything, Uriah stayed put by his king because that is what he was supposed to do in a time of war. So David came to the conclusion, well, I guess I just have to get rid of him. And the only way to get rid of him is to send him off to war and, and then tell the general to, to have all of the other soldiers back away from Uriah so Uriah is an easy target. And then Uriah will be killed in this battle and then, well, I just will be the, the good, great king that I am and I'll just take Bathsheba in just to, 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 to be, be kind and to be honor the memory of Uriah. And all of this happens, and Uriah dies in battle. David brings Bathsheba into his house, and she gives birth to a son. You think that would end there, and, and, and you kind of have this kind of this, this, this slimy feeling about who David is. But then along comes a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan understands and is told by God what has happened, and he goes and he confronts David, but he doesn't confront him face on saying, this is what you did. He, he tells him a story about a poor man who had one sheep that he, he absolutely loved, and, and he, 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 he treated that sheep so preciously, so, so carefully. But there was a rich man who saw that this poor man had one sheep, even though he had all of these other sheep around him and he had enough. He said, I want that one. So he, he steals the sheep and brings it in, leaving that man with nothing. <clears throat> David, having the heart that he has and being the ruler that he is, he, he sees this and says, well, that is, you need to bring that guy in here. We are going to punish him to the fullest for stealing what was not his. 
And Nathan looked at David and said, King, that's you. What you did to Bathsheba and what you did to Uriah, you did exactly what that story was all about. You are the one who is guilty. You are the one who should be punished. And then David repents. And even though that repentance happened, we know that there's more that happens with David, and we'll, we'll get to that here in a second. See, I, I love that Scripture gives us the story. It gives us the story because it helps us to see that, that we can learn from David, that, that, that we can have this, uh, this understanding of, of what it means to live a true and just life. So, so what are those lessons that, that we learn from David? The, the very first lesson that we learn is that complacency is never good. It, it, it's never good just to, to just sit there and, and do nothing. We hear the opening verse of 2 Samuel 11 that says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David wasn't a leader that just sat there. But for some reason, he thought it was okay for him to send off the troops of Israel to, to go to war. And he said, I'll, I'll just hang back this time. I'll, I'll, I'll just sit here in my castle and I'll wait for the reports and for everything that is happening there. But when that happens, when that complacency arrives, when, when you feel like that, that you are just bored out of your mind, then that's when things happen. And my friends, that's when things happen in the church as well. When, when we aren't where we're supposed to be, when, when we fail to be accountable to others, then we can start letting other things slip into our hearts and into our minds. We'll talk about more of this during our stewardship campaign, but, but I think we have come to a point in the church where we have allowed complacency to, to overtake what it is that we are supposed to be doing as the body of Christ. We, we have allowed complacency to, to move into our hearts and move into our minds that we sit there and we go, well, you know, that'll get taken care of. Somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will do that work. It even falls in line when we come to the teachings of the church. When we fail to, to stand for what Scripture says or when we fail to hold the truth to those things that we profess within the words of the Apostles' Creed, when we fail to talk about what it is that we believe and what it is that we are for, then we allow complacency to step in and to rule who we are. So, so, so whenever that happens, it's easy to allow our minds to wander and allow our minds to stray on things that are not of God, that are not of the things that we are called to do, but what the world calls us to do. See, if David would have done what kings were supposed to do, he would have been out there in battle. 
he would have been out there sharing in, in, with the work that the people of the army were doing, and he would have been in the midst of the struggle. And I think sometimes we have to realize that we are called to be in the midst of the struggle. We are called in the midst to, to help people to see and understand who God is and to be a part of inviting others to be a part of the good news of God. I think the second lesson that we learn when we talk about David is that you can't cover up sin. David tried this in so many different ways. It was pretty clever if you think about it. David knew that if Uriah were to come home and, and, and to be with his wife, like a husband who had been off to war would be with his wife, then, then everything would be set. Everything would be fine. But, but every single step that David tried to do in order to cover up his sin was foiled. I have a, my uh, Uncle Ray and Aunt Barry, they had this house in, in Hutchinson. And one of the things about this house, my uncle actually built this house because he was an architect. And, and one of the things, just because of the land that it was on, had a very, very steep staircase from the first floor down to the basement. And, and, and my aunt and uncle had their kids a lot earlier than my brother and I. So, so they already had their kids out of the house, and they started to do what... You may do, you know, you start putting things where you know that they're going to be okay because there's no kids coming around to, to knock things over and stuff. I'm seeing some smiles. You, you know what I'm talking about with that. Well, so they started to do that, and then me, me and my brother, I'm probably about five years old about this time, we start coming into my aunt and uncle's house, and we're just rambunctious little boys, and we're running around at everything, and, and we would rush down as fast as we can down the stairs. But well, one day I slipped as I was going down the stairs, and, and I remember my aunt had this beautiful statue of a cat that was, that was on the, the side of the stairs that, that there was nothing blocking it from the other side. Well, I hit that cat, and the cat went tumbling down, and it, and it broke all over the place. And I was scared out of my wits. So, so what did I do with this cat? I was smart. They had, they had a little rug down on the floor of the basement, so I just took the pieces of the cat and I just stuck them underneath the rug. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see that the cat's missing or they're, they're not going to check to see what the lumps were underneath the rug. I thought I was going to get away with this. But you can guess what happened. I didn't get away with it. My aunt and uncle, after we left... They, they realized what had happened. They called mom and dad, and they told them that for some reason, the cat that was on the stairwell got broken. And then that came the lecture, where David and I were sat down, and they grilled us about what happened. And I tried so hard. I, I don't know what happened. It, it surprised me. But, but then I realized that I had to give up and, and understand that, that I was busted that I was caught. Now, now, that's a fun, I guess, fun example of how you can let a little piece of sin covering up something that you have done to, to, to get away with that. 
how it will always come back to bite you. If you're like me, there are sometimes there are other sins in our life that we, we, we try to hide, which we try to cover up. But see, Nathan, who was the prophet at the time, he was sent to David to remind him that he needed to have a strong sense of justice and that David knew right from wrong. And, and it was best for David to, to come and, and admit to what he had done so that restitution could be made, as much restitution that could be made in a situation like that. You know, thinking about what David did as, as we uh, share the Ten Commandments with our confirmation class and our, our jam kids are learning about the, the Ten Commandments, David broke five of the Ten Commandments within just this one simple act of sin. He broke the first commandment by putting the desire to have Bathsheba before God. He broke the sixth commandment by murdering Uriah. He broke the seventh commandment by committing adultery. He he's broke the eighth commandment by stealing what was not rightfully his, by taking Bathsheba instead of letting her be with her husband. He broke the ninth commandment by lying and deceiving and bearing false witness. And he broke the Ten Commandment because he coveted what he didn't have. See, you can't cover up your sin. You, you can't try to, to gloss over the things that, that have happened in your life and say, that, that's no big deal. It's, it's, it's okay. Everybody does it. It, it. It's a part of life. And, you know, we're, we're all just human, so things happen. No. Nathan reminds David that you can't just brush over your sin. You have to admit to it. You have to own up to it. Not because of the, of the punishment or anything that goes with it, like the punishment that I got whenever I broke the cat at my uncle's house, but it is because repentance is necessary in order to have a full and, and, and God-filled life. David was just outraged when Nathan told him the story about the man who stole the one sheep of the poor person when he had all of these other things. David knew that, that justice needed to be done, but when the tables got turned and David started to understand that, that he was the one in the wrong, he realized he was the one who needed to repent. He was the, need, he was the one that, that needed to ask for forgiveness. And here's the good news, my friends, that God gives grace to those who repent. God is, is full of grace and mercy and love, and, and even though David did this absolutely horrible thing, God reached out and gave grace to him. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. See, God gave mercy to David, not because of who David was or, or what David was able to accomplish as the king of Israel, but because David took time to stop and repent of his sin. God said, your sin is put away. 
Your sin is no longer a part of who you are, and you shall live in the presence and love of God. But see, here's the kicker that I think all of us don't like. That even though we are forgiven, sometimes we still have to live in the consequences of our sin. Even though we may have for, be, been forgiven, the things that we may have done may, may have a, a strong consequence that we will still have to, to live in and through. We have to know that the choices that we make will have repercussions. And, and those repercussions sometimes are things that we have to live throughout our entire life. 2 Samuel 12, 11 says that the sword shall never depart from your house. That was a promise or a consequence that, that David was told because of what had happened between him and Bathsheba. And for the rest of David's life, he had difficulties. He had sons who, who tried to usurp his power. He, he had to run. He had to hide. He had to protect himself when Am Amnon and Absalom tried to, to kill him so that they may become the king and, and, and take over David's spot as the ruler of Israel. There was also consequences with the son that David and Bathsheba had in this moment of, of sin that David had. That son passed away. And David realized his sin in that and he mourned his son's life as he was was dying but while a sin might affect our life it need not ruin our life while, while, while we may have sin in our lives when we take the time to repent of those sins God will then take the opportunity to to do something new within us to 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 restore us to, to bring us into God's promises. We see that through this birth of Solomon, who became the king after David. Even though David and Bathsheba, they had that, that affair that David took advantage of Bathsheba, they had a birth of another son, and he became the next ruler that was the most wise, the most knowledgeable, the most effective king that Israel had ever had. God does not want sin to ruin our life. God calls us to repent and turn from our sins so that we may live our life full in God. Here's a pastor that I've been introduced to here recently by the name of Carolyn Moore. Carolyn Moore has written a lot of different studies uh, and it has been a very powerful pastor at her church called Mosaic. She tells a story on her biography page on her website that, that she was called into ministry at a very, very young age. A and she remembers accepting that call in the ministry as she was standing at a pulpit, I believe at the age of 13. But then as, as life happens, her, her life took a turn. And she says in her biography, for 10 years, I struggled mightily against alcoholic tendencies. And she says, you can't swing a dead cat in my family without hitting an alcoholic. 
and I also struggled against a lot of baggage that goes with it. That decade let me down some very dark paths, and I'm stunned now to think how quickly I found the darkness, how blind I was to my own soul sickness. But even while he watched me walk into the darkness, God said, she is my very own. I know what she is made of. So Carolyn Moore had a, a moment in her life where, where she turned far from God, even though she received that call to go into ministry. And, and after she repented of her sin, and, and while that sin affected her life and, and did stuff in her, it did not ruin her life because she was able to turn her life and focus on God. She was able to take this moment where, where, where God had reached down into her dark depravity and, and, and led her out on her own with his help and with his love and his grace so that she can be a powerful witness to not only God's grace, but God's healing's mercy and what God is calling the church to do in the future. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what you may be struggling with or, or what you may be feeling in your heart, but I do know that God can do great things through you. If only we, we take that moment like David and repent from our sin. If only we take that time like what David did and, and turn our eyes on Jesus and allow Jesus to move in us so that we may be free from bondage and the power of sin. One of the psalms that David wrote that we have record of is a psalm that he wrote after he had this encounter with Nathan. And that psalm is Psalm 51. And, and, and as you take the opportunity to look at this particular psalm, you can see David's heart. You can see his, his need to repent and his need for, for God to, to heal him and to mold him, and to wash his life clean so that he may live fully in God's love and God's grace. So as we close our time this morning together, I thought it would be great for us to read this psalm responsibly. I will read the light text and invite you to read the bold. Let us go to God in this prayer from Psalm 51. Let us pray. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow.
hide your face from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and heart. You, God, May it please you to prosper Zion. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous. Let us pray. Dear God, sometimes we feel in our lives it's easy to conceal the sin that we have in our lives. But you call us to repentance. And we have a, a, a beautiful story of repentance here with David. While he tried to get away from his sin and, and while he, he tried to cover up, you had people around him to, to help him to see the errors of his ways. God, I ask that you open our hearts and minds so that we may see the errors of our ways. And to live out the prayer that we just prayed, to create in us clean hearts and renew in us a right spirit so that we may walk in your ways and be restored by your love and mercy. So God, guide us and lead us so that we may be faithful disciples of yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.